We are going to get into the word, but can I ask you a question? Um, has anybody ever, like when I was a kid, were, were you like me? Were you afraid of the dark? Yeah? I remember, I, some of you are like, still afraid of the dark. Please, as you're talking about being the light of the world, don't do the illustration where you just turn the lights off in the whole room. You're ready? No, I'm kidding. Um, we're, we're not doing that today. But, but do you remember, some of you were like, this was last night. Do you remember being afraid of the dark? Do you remember that feeling, maybe you should watch less scary movies, that feeling that you have when you're in a dark place and you're disoriented? Have you ever been in a place that is so dark there is no light coming into that room and you know that you have to traverse from one end of the room to the other end of the room and you don't know the furniture that's in the room? Or husbands, have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and your wife rearranged the furniture without telling you? And, and you have to get from your bedroom to the kitchen to get that glass of water that you wanted. And you're gonna, you're just, you just know that you're going to hit your shin on something on the way from the bed to the kitchen. The dark can be a disorienting place. It can be a terrifying place. You could be in a dark space and afraid that something's going to jump out at you and 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 get you. The dark can be scary. If you are afraid of the dark, I just want you to know I empathize with you. We're, we're praying for you. Maybe something in this message today will deliver you from your fear of the darkness. Just This isn't the, the point of the sermon, although this would make a good sermon uh, at some point. I remember the night when I stopped being afraid of the dark. We, my mom and I had just visited Dirk and Cindy Pilgrim, who used to be members of this church. You've been, if you've been around the church for a long, long time, you remember Dirk and Cindy Pilgrim. Uh, we went to their house one night, and by whatever was whatever we were talking about, I don't really remember, uh, but as you do with church folks, you know, we got to talking, and then we got to praying about something, and I was a teenager at the time, actually. I was kind of embarrassed about the fact that I was like 12 or 13 years old, still kind of afraid of the dark, and I remember Cindy Pilgrim praying for me just that I would have the peace of God in my life. And it wasn't even about being afraid of the dark. I just felt like I didn't have peace, and she prayed for me. And, and I remember walking outside, and just where they lived at that time, it was dark outside, like real dark. like Not like city dark where there's street lights, but dark, dark. You know, like you could see stars in the sky. And normally I would have been terrified. And I remember walking to the car and standing at the door of the car and going, Mom, I'm not afraid. It was the first time in my entire life I could remember not being afraid. And it marked me. Because in that moment, something of the peace of God had actually come into my life and given me something that I didn't have before, which, which was that peace in place of something I had all along, which was fear. So whether you hear a question like, are you afraid of the dark? We're about to get into Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk about being the light of the world. Maybe before we get into any of that, we could just pause right here and say, God, whatever it is that we come to this message in this moment with today, that we feel like when we hear you say you are the light of the world to us, God, we need you to be the light for us. And before we talk about our responsibility with light, God, would you do a work in our own hearts? where we have darkness in our own lives, where we have fear and absence of your peace and your presence in our own lives, before we get into our responsibility, God, would you do your promise? Bring your light and your love and your peace that passes understanding into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen? 
Amen. All right, now, are you ready to get into the Word today? Okay, good. Sharon told you a few minutes ago that we're going to continue our series that we started last week. It's a two-part series called Salt and Light. And let me read the scripture for you so that we can set this into its context. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has just started something that he didn't call it this, but we call it the Sermon on the Mount. So he's done this whole uh, introduction to this Sermon on the Mount where he makes these these statements about what it looks like to live the blessed life. We call those the Beatitudes. And then he talks to us about what it would look like for us to be blessed even in the middle of trials and when people don't like us for our faith in God. And then he says this about us. He's actually defining us as his followers in this moment. And he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses uh, but if the salt should lose its, fl- its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We studied that part last week, and today we're going to look at this next part that Jesus says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, we said this last week, but Jesus is offering a couple of metaphors here. He's actually, he's actually giving us several different metaphors, which are really ultimately trying to do one big thing. As he's starting off this Sermon on the Mount, talking to us about what it looks like to be blessed by God and what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven on earth, he says, before I tell you how to live, let me tell you who you are. This is who you are. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of of the world. He tells you, you are like a city set on a hill and a lamp positioned in a house. And then he tells us to do something really, really important. We'll get to that towards the end of our time today. What I want to do with you in the time that I've got is I just want to walk through each of these statements that Jesus makes in this second half of these verses in Matthew chapter 5 as we think about what does it look like for Jesus to tie us, our identity, to this metaphor of being Light. So first and foremost, Jesus starts this off by saying, you are the light of the world. Now, on the surface, that's a pretty good statement. And if you just think about it, you're the light on the, of the world. Probably what many of us would just naturally think of is, yes, the world is a dark, sinful, broken place full of all kinds of darkness. And, and most of us would think it is for us to be nice, encouraging, loving, wonderful people, like be a good citizen of Lancaster and of the United States and of the world that you live in. Just be a good neighbor, right? And that's, that's a good statement, but can I propose to you that that's half of the idea of what Jesus is actually talking about here? You know, he's actually talking about something deeper than just being a good citizen, or being a good neighbor, or being nice to the person sitting next to you, or the person that you happen to be married to, or that you live with. See, biblical scholars in the room are going to notice something interesting in this statement. If you, if you begin to dig deep into what Jesus has said here, you might begin to ask a question like, isn't it a little bit heretical for Jesus to say, you are the light of the world? Like my friend Kyle's sitting over here, and just for the record, my friend Kyle's a really good guy. He's probably one of the, the most righteous, holy people that I have ever met in my life. Um, in fact, I've known Kyle since we were kids in youth group, and I don't know that I've ever seen Kyle commit a sin. I, I'm not kidding you. 
I've seen Danny commit some sins. I think Kyle's probably seen me sin a few times. But Kyle, for the life of me, I can't think of a time I've seen you sin. Like one time we were out way too late. We were younger people at the time. I remember we were hanging out at Denny's because that's what young people do. And, and Kyle had parked his truck outside in the parking lot. And while we were inside getting the moons over my hammy, somebody jacked the stereo out of Kyle's truck. And we walked outside. And you know what Kyle said? Not much. He goes, oh, man. Somebody stole the stereo out of my truck. That's less than ideal. Like the peace that this guy had. If, if that was me in that moment, I'm not your pastor anymore. Kyle is probably one of the most righteous people that I've ever met. But you know as well as I know that Kyle has committed some sins. He just does them all in secret, apparently. We know that Kyle is not Jesus. As good of a guy as Kyle is, he is not anything in compared to the righteousness and purity of Jesus. And as great as Kyle is as a person, isn't it a little weird for us to think about Jesus? The one who, John, when he begins his gospel, says the very light of the world came into the world and there was full of darkness and the world did not know him. That that person, Jesus himself, who says, I am the light of the world, would look at Kyle in all of his goodness. Doesn't it feel a little bit close to heretical to say, Kyle, you are the light of the world. And yet Jesus would say exactly that to you. And for the person wrapped in the, the, the deepest struggle the person who feels the farthest from Jesus today, the person who you think of when I say, now think of the person who might be a Christian but is like the opposite of Kyle. Jesus would say, if you walk in relationship with me, you too are the light of the world. Now we have to wrestle with that. Because if Jesus is saying it, I just promise you right now, that's not heresy. Jesus must have meant what he said. So Jesus, the light of the world, says to you, you are the light of the world. And just in case you're a little uncomfortable with me saying that to you right now, just get it, get it off your chest for a second. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. Just so it feels just for a moment that maybe I'm not putting all of the attention on you. Just tell your neighbor, you are the light of the world. In John chapter 8, Verse 12, Jesus says, again, I am the light of the world. He's not saying this about you this time. Sorry, Kyle. He's saying this about himself. He's saying, I am the light of the world. But then he continues and he says, anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. We have to understand that from the very beginning of Jesus' mission on earth, he has been trying to give you the light that he is. From the very, very beginning of his mission on earth, he's been trying to make you something that he is. Do you understand that? This has been God's intention all along. Understand, Jesus was saying this about people before the cross. I want you to be what I am. 
In fact, Jesus, when Jesus says that we are the light of the world in Matthew 5, he's doing something very particular here. He's using a Greek word, phos, P-H-O-S, not F, P-H-O-S, phos. Now, this is a Greek word which means light, a source of light, or radiance. Now, if you're a nerd like me, you've already figured this out, but uh, that word phos sounds, uh, sounds familiar to our English-speaking minds. It actually is the same root word that we have an English word, photograph. Now, the, the, the word photograph actually comes from Greek words, two Greek words, phos, light, shine, to radiance, to, to reflect, and graphos, which means writing. So to say photograph, you're literally actually saying that something is a light writing, capturing an, an original image and, and writing it onto something that you can then observe. That's what a photograph is. So Jesus is not just saying that we are to carry the light in the world. He used a specific word here to say that there's something that marks your identity, not what you hold, but who you are. Pastor Tony Clark says you could literally translate this verse as saying, you are a picture of me in this dark world. Again, that's not something you carry. He didn't say you're carrying a picture of me. He's saying you are a picture of me. Which means if Jesus is the light of the world and you are to be like him, then you must also be the light of the world. Notice that Jesus doesn't put a caveat here and he doesn't say, if you don't sin ever again, then you can be the light of the world. I mean, that would have taken Peter and everyone other than Kyle right out of the running. He says, if you are my follower, then I'll give you the light. And the word that he uses here in Matthew 5 is he says, you are the light as an identity marker. Now, this is similar to John's statement. John, who wrote that Gospel of John, talks about the light coming into the world and the darkness didn't know him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, he says, as he is, that's as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. That's another identity marker. Again, we are like Jesus in identity, in nature. Now, that doesn't mean that you're Jesus. You're not saving anybody. But you are reflecting the light that saves everybody. You understand that? So when, when the world sees you, they should be able to see Jesus. Let me say that to you again, as you think about the way you live and present yourself in this world. When the world sees you, they should be able to see Jesus. We could stop there and do a full ministry and prayer time right now, just of all of us in all the different ways that we need to repent, in, because the answer to that question is often, no, they can't see Jesus when they look at me. When people see me, they too often see Tim. I want them to see Jesus. And Paul actually digs into this idea in Ephesians chapter 5 when he writes, For you were once darkness. Notice how he doesn't say you were once in darkness. He says, You were once identified as darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. 
And then Paul goes on to give us instruction, further instruction on what it looks like for us to live as light. We'll pick that up in verse 11. He says, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by light is made visible, visible for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So Paul is very clear here. Don't do what is done in darkness. You're not that person anymore. If you have truly woken up and Christ has shined onto you, then you are the light writing, the photograph of Jesus, the light of the world. You can't live or look the same way that you did when you were asleep. Because you're awake now. So be fully alive. Walk in the light. Make sure not to waste the time that you have or to take it too lightly. Now, can I give you a point of clarity here? When Paul says, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them, what he's telling us there is to take sin seriously, that our presence is what exposes sin for being sin. You know, Scripture makes it clear that it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of sin, not your ability to uh, spin a yarn. And for too long, the church has decided that what God actually said when he said the world needs to be convicted of sin is we said, oh, what God meant there is that we have to post about it on the internet a lot. Or when we see somebody doing something that we don't like, we've got to make sure that they hear it from us. And what God actually meant was live in such a way that you look so much like me that sin will just convict itself when it's around you. That darkness will just realize that it has no place in the presence of light. Just because you showed up looking like Jesus. One of the things that marks Jesus' ministry as the light of the world is that he didn't walk around going, sinner, sinner, you suck, you're awful, let me count the ways that you failed today. He doesn't say any of that. He walks around saying, I, you're loved. I'm present with you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let me demonstrate power for you. It's going to be okay if you walk with me. Healing, power, love, restoration, reconciliation. Man, if we would capture this, we would begin to live differently. We are not invited to shame people, but to shine the light into the darkness. You can do that just by showing up if you live like Jesus in the world. Amen? So as the light of the world, Jesus illuminated the way to God. He, he helps them not to feel terrible about how horrible they are, but to have an opportunity and a hope for a way forward, a better way of living. The director of Teen Challenge, Ron Brown, was at a pastor's luncheon I was at just last week, and he said, when we shine for the Lord, it gives light for other people to find their way home. He was saying that in the context of talking about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says that God created us beforehand with good works in mind that we should walk in them. 
That's not about the way you talk. That's about the way you walk, the way that you live your life. Should invite people to come home in Jesus. We're successful not because we build big churches but because, or, or because we said the right thing, but because we demonstrated what it looks like to live like Jesus in the world. And every time we do that in public, someone will have their life lit up and we'll show them the way home. Amen? You are the light of the world. Tell your neighbor that one more time. So what you just said to your neighbor means that they are expected to live in the world in a way that illuminates the distinction between righteousness and unrighteousness. The way you live should demonstrate what it looks like that there is a line, a difference between darkness and light, sin and holiness, righteousness and unrighteousness, which is why Jesus then goes on to say the second thing we need to talk about. He says, you are a city on a hill. Specifically, what he said was a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, it's believed that where Jesus was sitting to preach the Sermon on the Mount was in view of a, a city called Safed. Now, this city was literally built up on a hill, and it was one of those cities that could be seen for miles around. It might have actually been the highest city in the region. Now, if you've done any kind of study of history, you might understand that people would build cities on hills for all kinds of different reasons. We won't take time to get into the historical study of why people would build a city on a hill. You can do that study later. Watch, watch the History Channel. It's fascinating stuff. But what Jesus is actually doing here is he's pointing to a reality. The reality is that if you are a city on a hill, everyone around you can see you. Again, there's other reasons why God might say be a city on a hill. One of those reasons might be for your protection. For this point that Jesus is making in his sermon, it's for your demonstration. I want people to see you, so be a city on a hill. Everyone should be able to see you. Another way to hear this is Jesus is saying, if you call yourself one of my people, people will see you, so be careful how your living represents me. Imagine yourself, a city on a hill, and the banner that everyone can see from all around, whatever angle they look at, that city says, this is the city of Jesus. And when they walk into that city, they see debauchery and sin and darkness and failure and apathy, and all the things of the world. And Jesus is saying, that's not what you were designed to be. You're a city on a hill. He's saying, do you realize that if you're one of my people, you don't even have a choice but for people to know. So live like a city that everyone is watching. There's something about the world that we have this really interesting kind of duality to the way that we live. It's like we want to live in a fishbowl and in private all at the same time. Isn't that interesting? We live in a world where we've been invited onto the internet. Post everything about your life. If it's not on Facebook, it didn't happen. Right? If you didn't change your relationship status, are you even in a relationship? And if you didn't post about that salad, are you really on a diet? We post our political opinions. We post sometimes our religious opinions. Sometimes those are the same thing. We should stop doing that. We post all kinds of stuff online. We post all of this information on the Internet. 
And then we live this double standard because we say, everybody needs to see all of the things that I want to show you. But when it comes to my private life, would you just please mind your own business? And we, and we, say, that, uh, we say that in the, in the way that we, we also say, do you? I won't get into your business if you don't get into my business. I will curate what I want you to see. And the things I don't want you to see, don't touch that. Mind your own business. Get out of here, Karen. We love people named Karen in our church. We just we need to redeem that name. I apologize for saying that. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're really one of my followers, you're designed to be seen and you are destined to influence the world around you. And you don't actually get to choose which parts of you the world says, oh, those are the things that look like Jesus and those are the things that just look like you. He's saying you have to live in such a way that everything gets put in the fishbowl. Nothing gets hidden. Does that mean I have no privacy? Does that mean I don't, nothing about my life is my own? Well, it certainly means that nothing about your life is your own. It absolutely means that nothing about your life is your own. Why? Because Jesus died to purchase you. And you have been expected to live in public. Does this make sense? Live in the fishbowl. Let's fight against the reality that says we're going to curate what we want the world to see and we're going to hide what we don't want them to see. And let's throw all of our lives at the feet of the cross and say, Jesus, redeem everything about me so that everything about my life is visible before the world and before you and it all looks more and more increasingly like Jesus every single day. And that way people can come and examine every part of my life and see Jesus in every part of my life. So Jesus sets up a question here. This is the question that we have to ask. Where are you living? Like your daily coming and going, your daily thought life, your practices, your habits, the way you talk, the people you spend your time with, where are you living? Are you living in the city on a hill? Fully in God's kingdom? Or are you just trying to visit the city? Get the perks and then return to the normal world. Now, I know that this is a hard thing to say to people who faithfully attend church on a Sunday because what it, what it sounds like I'm saying is, you guys need to get your act together. And I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. Imagine how hard it is to be the guy who has to say it when I know Jesus is saying it to me too. Right? We have got to get our act together. In the places where we show up to church to get the benefits of the kingdom and walk out of a building and think, now I get to live however I want and Jesus will forgive me for whatever I do and I can have all of the benefits and none of the expectation. We need to get our act together. We need to repent as people of God and live fully as the city on the hill. No more duality in our lives. No more duality. No more dating the church and living in the world. We are the city, immovable from God's presence and seen by the world. I'm either a member of the city or I live in darkness. I cannot have it both ways. Amen? Now, Jesus warns us against this. Just so you know, Tim's not being mean to you today. Jesus talks about this. Right, right? Here's, here's, what we, here's what we hear. We are told in Scripture, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who puts the will of God, puts, uh, put, the one who does the will of God, will live forever. The city on the hill lives forever. Those who live in the darkness and those who, li- who try to do both kinds of living. They pass away. So Jesus is saying, being his disciple makes you the light of the world and a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That sounds like hard work, and it certainly is. Thank God for his grace. Like we heard Cheryl say today, we have grace that is new and and growing every single day. Amen? Because we need it if we're going to live this way. And the third thing that we hear Jesus say, he's told us, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, and now he's going to tell us, you are a lamp in a house. Jesus says this as he begins to move toward the end of this thought. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather they put a lamp on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Now, this is so obvious. If you've ever decorated a house, even, even the people who think like me and would love other people to decorate the house, you get this. If you're going to put a lamp in a room, you're not putting it on the floor. You're going to put it up. Why? So that it can light up the whole room. There's a reason that the lights in this room are on the ceiling and not the floor. Because we want to light up the whole space. The higher you put a light, the more it will light up that space. Jesus is saying the same thing. This isn't new technology that we came up with. He's saying put a light higher and it will light more. Yeah? Now Jesus is saying, you're the lamp. All along, there has been a plan that God has had to light up the world. We've been been weaving this theme throughout a lot of our sermons recently, but at the very beginning of the story in the book of Genesis was this event that happened called the fall of man. And that the fall of man was when sin entered into the hearts of men and women and entered into the world. The world began to decay. We began to abuse instead of steward the, pl- the resources of the planet. And we began to kill each other. And we began to die. Darkness enters the world. And from that very moment, Jesus was set in motion as the plan to bring light back into the world. And then Jesus says, you are the light of the world. From the very beginning, this has been the plan. You're the plan now. I know it got quiet when I was talking about how you can't live in darkness. But I just said something that was really good news. Let's try that again. All right. So darkness entered into the world. And then from the very beginning, Jesus was trying to bring light into the world. And he said, I've got a plan. And he looks at you and says, you are the plan. You're the plan to bring light into the world. Do you realize how important that makes you? I know like five minutes ago, you were feeling beat up by this sermon. Oh man, I think maybe I'm, I'm like living with my foot outside the walls of the city. I don't know if I'm really all the way in. And you're feeling rebuked and you're feeling, that's the Holy Spirit, by the way. If, if there was a, an area in your life where you're feeling condemned, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? I understand that just like a couple of minutes ago, things were heavy. But right now, do you understand what we just said? You're the gift to the world. You matter. 
Yes, this is hard living, but you're important. Nothing important is easy. Living this way is hard, but it matters. Imagine a world where people say they love Jesus, but don't shine the light of Jesus. No wonder the world outside thinks that we're all hypocrites. Because we have misunderstood. We thought if people could just see Jesus, if they could just see the Father, if they would just attend church on a Sunday, then the whole world would light up. If they would just agree with everything that we agree with, then the whole world would light up. And Jesus says, yeah, that would be so great, but if you would just look like me, the whole world would light up. You are so important. You matter so very much. And living as a people who are light but hide the light is not an option. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. You realize the reward for just taking the light of Jesus in your life and just elevating it. The the reward is that before literally everyone, God the Father will acknowledge you. Do you know how good it feels for a child to be acknowledged in public by their parents? Like when I'm in a space... And my kids are in that space, and we're in public gatherings. And I look around to other people, and my kids hear me say, Hannah and Selah, they're mine. I'm so proud of them. I'm so glad that they're my kids. They begin to light up. Their lives fill with hope and love, and they feel good about who they are just because their dad has acknowledged them in public. Could you imagine how crushing it would be for them if they're in a public space and I'm in a public space, we're in that space together, and I'm talking to my friends, and somebody goes, hey, do you have kids? And I go, I don't want to talk about it. Some of you know that pain actually physically, intimately. Some of you know what it feels like for your earthly parents to not acknowledge you. And Jesus says, Don't ever put me in a position where we can't acknowledge one another. And whether I acknowledge you is always hinging on whether you acknowledge me. How crushing it must be to flip the tables and to be a parent. And if Hannah walked into a room and I said to all of you, that's my daughter, I'm so proud of you. And Hannah goes, I don't know who that joker is. Or I only acknowledge him in the privacy of my bedroom. Or I only tell people he's my dad once a week. Oh, that would break my heart. Like it kind of makes me want to cry just thinking about my daughters not acknowledging me. And I read that verse sometimes and I think, God, it feels like it feels like a heavy burden that you put on me. To say if you if I don't acknowledge you in public, you won't acknowledge me. And Jesus says, I know. Imagine how it makes me feel when you don't acknowledge me. And think about what I did for you to make you light, to pull you from darkness into light. And you don't acknowledge me? I love you. Love me. God, make us people who are proud to acknowledge you just to shine your light, just to show you that we love you and to show the world that we love you. Make us those people. 
If you're a Christian, you are the light. There's no way around that. Your job, your expectation, your identity is to be a light shiner, to acknowledge God. And the benefits, you get acknowledged by God. The benefits, you get to live in the city of God that has no end. You get to experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. And all you have to do is just shine a light. Just be yourself. Now, there's another point that I, I think has to be uh, made here as, as we begin to move towards the end of this point that Jesus is making, because Jesus has actually uh, landed this third metaphor here. He's talking about lamps in houses. He's actually landed this metaphor, and he's also completed a progression that I, I'm not sure if you've noticed the progression of these three things that Jesus is saying, but let's, let's tie all of this stuff together here. Jesus goes from saying, you are the light of the entire world. Say world. That's a lot of people that live in that place. They, he's, it's like he's saying, you're the sun that lights up the whole planet. And then he goes and narrows his focus a little bit. And he says, you're a city that everyone in the area can see. Say city. A little fewer people live in a city than on the whole planet. Do you agree? And finally, he narrows his focus from being the sun that lights up the whole planet to a city that has influence in a region. And now he says, you're a lamp in a house. How many people live in a house? Depending on how many kids you have. Half a dozen? Four? Two? Jesus is tying all believers into a three-stage responsibility. Number one, you are light as part of his global church. But before you can impact the world, you have to make sure that, number two, you are light as citizens of a community. He's saying, look to shine light to the entire world, but join the church in doing that. And number three, before you can worry about citywide impact, remember that you are light as members of individual families. God's desire is for us to have a global impact. There is nothing wrong with a growing church that says we want to impact the entire planet. Amen? There's nothing wrong with that, saying every church should be growing. If we're preaching the gospel of Jesus and, and, and we're doing the things that God has told us to do, every church should be growing and we should want to grow. We should think about multiplication and taking over entire communities and the entire planet to cover the entire world with churches that celebrate and preach the gospel of Jesus. Amen? But that starts in your house. That starts with you. That starts with your neighbor. That starts with the people who live with you. I wonder how much of a global impact Jesus' disciples would have if each of us were better at reflecting the light of Jesus in our homes. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Be the light of the entire world. Start in the place where you sleep. I need to make sure I have a plan of engaging faith at home. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you and your spouse or you and your roommate or you and your children? What does that look like for you in your private and personal life with your family? And by the way, this applies to single people as well as it applies to married people. What does that look like for the people in your immediate circle, the people you spend the most amount of your time with? Maybe it looks like having a daily rhythm of prayer and Bible study, talking about God, shining the light to other people. Maybe it looks like being, living in the kind of household that when something of darkness creeps in, we talk about it. Because whatever lives in darkness dies in the light. 
and we talk about it as family. A, a friend of mine who passes a church in Arizona, he tells his church to spend 15 minutes of what he calls God time every single day. He doesn't give his church a, a daily Bible reading and say, you must read these verses if you want to uh, be a, a good religious Christian. He doesn't say that. He says, just spend 15 minutes with God every single day. It'd be great if you read the Bible during some of those 15 minutes, but just spend time with God. Because the point here is not to create regulations, but a routine of time with God. What would it look like for in the place where you live to begin there, being the light. You taking personal responsibility to say this place where I live will become lighter because I live here. That takes intentionality. That takes purpose. So the question you have to ask yourself is, are those who live with you or near you more like Jesus because you live there? I mean, actually pause and ask yourself that question. Are the people who live near me more like Jesus because I live there? Resist the urge to get humble and go, oh, no, no, no. The people who live with me are like Jesus because of Jesus. It's not me. No, no like, let's just clear that up. Look, if Jesus showed up in your living room right now, yeah, all of you are just falling flat on your face, right. Amen. But Jesus isn't showing up in body in your living room right now, except through you. So be Jesus. Be the light of the world. Be the lamp in your house. Amen? Have I told you that you matter yet today? Have you heard God say, do you realize that I died because you mattered to me? Jesus loves you so much, you can't even begin to understand it. He is so enamored with you. He is so mad about your life, passionate about you. He gave his, his very life for you to have life. That should make you realize just how much you matter to God. And then he said, because you matter so much, I gave my life, and now I'm giving you a very important job. He must really trust your heart. He must really think that you have influence and impact in the world. If he didn't, he would just show up in bodily form right now in 2022, almost 2023. The days are wild and dark. And if the days are this wild and this dark and Jesus is still not showing up in physical bodily form, then he must really trust the people who are in his church right now to carry the mantle and be the light. So you have a choice. You can walk out of here and hear me have told you, man, you really got to get your act together. Or you can hear the Holy Spirit say to you, you are more important than you realize. Be the light because you're loved. Now as we begin to wrap up this moment in this service, I, I want to ask you to think back to the question at the very beginning of this service, have you ever found yourself in complete darkness? Remember how that felt. Remember how isolated you were. Remember how disorienting that was. And then light gets turned on and you can suddenly find your way around. Imagine what it must be like to live outside of a relationship with Jesus in this day and age. It must be so disorienting. It must be so terrifying. The world is chaotic and falling apart. 
It's like every single month there's some new kind of reason for us to be afraid and to be angry. Every single month there's some new initiative or agenda in the world floating around that is dividing people and making us hate one another. If you don't have the light of Jesus in your life, you must be terrified and exhausted all the time. Now think about the people in your life who live like that. I mean, like, think about them. Who do you know living in darkness in the world? They must be so scared. They must be so afraid, so disoriented. And you begin to realize that all of the showing, all of the... the the people running around saying, I've got it figured out. We figured out the new truth. We, we, they're just all grasping for something that will orient them, place them, identify them. And we know what they actually need to get a hold of is the light of Jesus. And as you think about those human beings that you know stuck in darkness, I begin to wonder, what wouldn't I do to move into that place and just be the light of Jesus to those people? And I don't need you to have your theology all figured out and worked out. I don't need you to go to all the lengths to have all of the perfect answers to every single difficult question in the world. I think if Jesus were here today saying audibly something to you, to answer the question, what do you do in the moments where you feel overwhelmed facing the darkness of the world and thinking about the people that you love that are stuck in darkness? He would just say, just be me with them. Just love. Don't even get wrapped up in their sin. Just love them. I'll deal with their sin. Don't get wrapped up in their brokenness. Just love them. I'll heal their brokenness. Before we do anything else, I want to pray a blessing over you as we wrap up our service. We'll do that in a minute. Before we get to that, can you take a moment right where you're sitting? I've invited you to think about some people. I'd be stunned if in this room there isn't at least one name in the mind of every single person in this room. Can you just before we do anything else, just go to the Lord and pray for them. Just right now where you're sitting. Just pray for them. Whatever it is that comes to your mind, pray for them. Might be one people, might one one person. It might be ten people. Just name them before the Lord. Now I'm going to ask you to do the same practice a second time. I'm going to ask you to do the same practice, not by yourself, but in small groups. I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and that'll be how we'll end our service. We'll, I'll call you back in just a moment. Before we do that, can you now turn to a couple of people, get in a, a pair or a, a group of three. Don't do large groups, but just three, four people. 
and just do what you just did there out loud. Take the next moment together. You've prayed alone. Now pray together as a community. And let's practice being the city together. Just right now in this moment, just turn around, get with somebody, and just begin to pray together. I don't even care if in your group you do that all at the same time and there's four people all praying at the same time. If you go one at a time, that's cool. But just begin to name before God and pray, God, would you help these people to see the light of Jesus? This is how we begin to change the world, church. Through, it begins through prayer. Go ahead and pray. We name these people before you now, God. We name these people before you now. These people we know, lost in darkness, stuck. These people we know that are living between two worlds, even. The ones that we know that are committed to you with their words, but their lives look like darkness. We name these people before you now. Bring light into their lives and use us to do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Good. All right. I know there's a couple of people who are still praying together, and that is good. Don't let me interrupt you. We can have two prayers happening at the same time. So you keep praying. We're going to end our service this way today. I want to pray this blessing over you. So if you're ready to receive a blessing from the Lord today, I just invite you to open your hearts before the Lord one last time. And we pray, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenges and your invitation. Jesus, you are the light of our lives. Help us to be light. And I would pray this blessing over my friends and over this church. Life Church, may you know the light of life that comes from Jesus. May your heart be purified by the love and the word of God. May all darkness be removed from your life by the power of the love of Jesus. May you have a conviction and a passion to be light to the world. May you be a city on a hill so that others can see your good works and glorify God. May your life be an invitation, like a lighthouse shining the way home. And may you be blessed to see others find safe harbor in the light of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to worshiping with you outdoors next Sunday. Have a great week.